this is a special time that the Lord has given us that we come we gather together and we gather together primarily to focus on him. It is interesting that um, here now 2,000 years and there still is this ongoing remembrance meeting that takes place with believers around the world focusing on the life and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is such a monumental event. And uh, we, we remember it. He says, by the way, in the, in the context there, not to do it in an unworthy manner, when we take of the elements, uh, it is a symbolic sign that we are partaking of Christ and that, that we ingest, so to speak, ingest him, uh, means that we have that intimate relationship with him and we partake of him and we, we feed on him. And uh, if we don't know him, if we are making, then we are making a mockery of that. We're doing something we haven't done. So, so it's really important. Paul writes in First Corinthians passage. We'll read later when we get ready to do the elements. And uh, by the way, I have a, two people who want to do it. Uh, you and Larry, y'all want to do the elements tonight? Do you mind doing that? Okay. Um, Paul says, um, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, it took bread. This, this basically is what this is saying is that during the process of betrayal, during the process in which Jesus was being betrayed, Judas was going out and was plotting and getting money and doing all this, that same night at that same time, Jesus was instituting this uh, feast, transforming the Passover into what we call communion. And so it's a real kind of a very touchy scene, really, very emotional scene, what the Lord was doing there. He's, he's instituting this magnificent feast of such a monumental event at such a, uh, an unbelievable time. He's setting the stage, as it were, for this. And we follow kind of in his, in his train to remember him. It says that, that when this was taking place, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Doing the remembrance of the actual Passover meal, usually the last thing that was partaken was the lamb. There was lamb that was eaten as a sacrificial. It was the picture of the lamb, the Passover lamb, that was life was given, the blood was shed and applied to the doorpost. But in this case, instead of the lamb, he took bread. And he said, this bread represents my body given to you. And that you, uh, you the sacrifice of me will pay for your sin. It will be the, the, the ultimate Passover sacrifice for you. And so he broke it and said, this is my body, this, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so here you have a picture of his body, um, which the bread was broken, but the body was not broken. We know that. And, and this uh, blood was shed, which is a way of symbolizing the pouring out of his life. And it was done for us. In my Bible reading, uh, I guess it wasn't this last night yesterday, but probably two or three days ago, uh, I was reading uh, in my reading in the New Testament, and it's in the it was in the Gospel of John, 
and I was reading about the crucifixion, and I was noticing several notes there uh, in the text. In John's Gospel, uh, John 19, Pilate said, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put a purple robe on him and began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. This is, this is so staggering to me because this is, the, this is God in flesh, and he is the sovereign of the universe. Uh, everything, the Bible says, everything is held together by his word. But I was reading some of the notes. Let me just, just some of the comments that John MacArthur made. He talked about the scourging process. He comments, he says, Pilate appears to have flogged Jesus as a strategy to set him free. And then he gives reference, you can see verses six, four through six. He was hoping that the Jews would be appeased by this action and that sympathy for Jesus' suffering would result in their desire that he be released. Scourging was a horribly cruel act in which the victim was stripped and tied to a post and beaten by several torturers, that is, soldiers, who alternated when exhausted, or the victims who were not Roman citizens. The preferred instrument was a short wooden handle to which several leather thongs were attached. Each leather thong had pieces of bone or metal at the end. The beatings were so savage that sometimes victims died. The body could be torn or lacerated to such an extent that muscles, veins, and bones were exposed. Such flogging often preceded execution in order to weaken the and dehumanize the victim. Apparently, however, Pilate intended for this to create sympathy for Jesus. So he was just doing this. One of the other things is this torture to please the Jews, which it did not. They, they, they chose the hatred. But the, what I was thinking as we do that is that the Lord would go through that for me. That is, that is so hard to grasp that anybody would do that voluntarily and do it for, I mean, because I'm not, I ran away from him. I, it was a long time that I didn't want to have anything to do with him. I mean, I don't mean to say they don't want to have anything to do with him, but I didn't want to surrender my life to him, which is saying they don't want to have anything to do with him. You don't, you don't really, not pursuing him, you're you're basically saying you're not for him, you're against him. And uh, that's, that's just that's just so hard to, to grasp and to, for me to fathom that. It goes on talking about the crown of thorns. Uh, the crown was made from long spikes. Uh, John says some of them were up to 12 inches uh, with a date uh, of, a, of a, a date palm formed into a, an imitation of the radiating crowns which Oriental kings wore. The crown would be like a wreath. They used a wreath made out of, uh, that they, would, they would wear, they were made out of uh, ivy or something like that. But this was the crown of thorns that they mocked, and it was a mockery crown. Long thorns would have cut deeply into Jesus' head, adding to the pain and bleeding. The purple robe, of course, represented royalty. The robe probably was a military cloak flung around Jesus' shoulder intended to mock him his claim to be king of the Jews. And so I'm just thinking about this and thinking about how, how the Lord cares for us and how he would go through this to display the abundance of his mercy and grace to people who really and truly deserve hell. We really and truly, we, 
just the fact that we are that he is holy and we are not that we run the other way we, we turn the other way we we go away we we decide that we want to do our thing we we set our agenda as a top, top priority of our life even when as christians a lot of times our agenda our own perfect our personal agenda at least it is with me many times is what i pursue more than anything else and i want my agenda and sometimes and i'll come back time and time again and say boy that's i'm sorry about that but it still is. It still is. And uh, I, I, I agree with Paul. When, when Paul relates to us the things that I want to do, I don't do, uh, I relate to that. I know what that's like. I know exactly what it's like. And uh, so we are, we really are those that are in rebellion against him. Now, salvation turns us around. Salvation opens our heart. But what I'm saying is we still struggle with real surrender. And uh, it's, it's, it's a hard thing. It really is. That the Lord would care for us and pour out his life for us like that. So here is this, this uh, challenge to us to, to remember him and to show forth his death until he comes. He's coming back. And that's the glorious truth. And it's gonna, things are going to be different when he comes back. It's going to be a, a different scenario the second time by far than what it was the first time. I've been uh, reading a lot of accounts of that next big visit when the day of the Lord begins before he begins to pour out his wrath on the world. And uh, there are, I, I guess there are nine or 10 references throughout the scriptures of the coming day of the Lord. It's described as a monumental day, a day in which there are signs in heaven, there are earthquakes, there are uh, even mountains and islands sometimes move and people are going to be crying out for God's mercy and it's going to, it's going to be a, a staggering event and that's on the horizon. Um, I don't know how far in advance it is, but it's on the horizon and uh, we, don't, we don't want to play games with the Lord. It's easy to do that. It's easy to, to take it um, casually. I, one of the things I ask the Lord, I have friends I pray for, and I ask the Lord to help them become a Luke 14 disciple. You're familiar with Luke 14, the passage where Jesus told the followers that were coming to him, he wants to be my, no man can be my disciple. He does not hate his mother, father, wife, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, no, it's no, no, you can't be my disciple unless you put me first. You need to do that. And uh, he says in that same category, you count the cost. Realize what it is I'm asking you to do because uh, there are a lot of people who bail out. We're looking at Sunday morning, Timothy, and looking at a category of, of associates with Paul, and one of the ones we'll be looking at is Demas. Demas is one who was, uh, he was in Philemon and uh, Philippians. A couple of passages, uh, I think it was a couple of passages that speak of Demas as being an associate of Paul and worked with Paul for quite a while, but in the end, um, he bailed out. In the end, he, just, he loved this present world more than he loved the, the kingdom, more than he loved the Lord. He gave evidence of being one of those four soils. That's why that's such an important parable. You have the parable, you talked this morning about the parable of the four soils. And one of them, the parable of uh, the soil was which the, the sword did not sow seed in the soil and fell among soil, but there were 
thorns and thistles that grew up in the weeds and it choked out the seeds so they were not fruitful. And uh, it turns out to be a, a non-saving reception of the, of the gospel message because it's choked out by uh, pleasures and, and uh, joys and things that, that choke it out. It can happen, and it happened to Demas. And uh, he, he loved this, as Paul said, he loved this present world. And uh, that, that, that's a concern for me in my life, too, because it's easy. Man says, the Bible says, no man be, uh, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. No man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in it. And so that's a pretty severe, that's, a, that's just a strong warning. And that's why I was talking to you this morning, that it's, that's important that we make room in our day, uh, every day, for the Word. Spend some time investing some time in the Word because it's there that we receive what God has to say and the Spirit works in our hearts and helps us to see the truth and to understand the truth. Um, Paul uses the phrase renewing your mind, uh, feeding your soul, feeding your mind with God's Word and to let the Spirit of God work in your heart. And I, I, I try to do that. Uh, on Saturdays, I don't get to do it as much because I have to be in work at 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I may read the half time, if I get up early enough, I may read one chapter or whatever, but usually I get up and I, I rush in to take a quick shower and get dressed and go out there. But once I get there at the Lowe's at 6 o'clock in the morning, I used to have an hour, maybe an hour and a half of just sitting there. Then I can pray, I can talk to the Lord, and it gives me a good opportunity to do that. He's so good. He's so good. I'm so impressed with his goodness and his mercy. He's not a tyrant, even though sometimes I treat him as if he were. Uh, he's not vindictive. He's not mean. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's good. He uh, always is doing what's good and best. And I'm so humble that he would work in my heart and carefully enough to show me these things and to help me understand these things. And you see what I'm saying? That he just, he patiently works with us as the Father does with his children to help us see the truth and to understand these things um, and to be able to, to uh, take advantage of it. I'm going to open us in prayer, and then I'm going to sit down and leave it open. Dave, do you mind closing that time in prayer? Uh, if, you, if anybody wants to, you can pray, and then we'll do the weather state. Father, I, uh, I know I'm rambling on today, and we've... we've uh, we're very, very privileged to be inside your house, inside the kingdom. Uh, we're privileged to be looking at these things from the inside, knowing that we're your children. You distinguished in the parable of the sower that these things were not given to everybody, but were particularly intended for your children to understand. We are your children, and I thank you for that. We're not your children because we are smart or because we had sense enough to receive the gospel or anything else. There's nothing in us that made us more qualified than anybody else. We are your children because you, in your mercy and grace, have stooped to open our hearts to help us see our need and given us a, a, a glimpse of the greatness of your love and care and faith and belief. And we have cried out to you for mercy and you have paid for our sin. Thank you for that. Help us to, you, you tell us in scripture to examine yourself that you be in the faith. Help us be serious about that. It is easy. Uh, it really is easy for us to get tied up in busyness, in work, in all kinds of private 
goals and enterprises and investments and, and lose sight of, of the truth of the relationship that we have with you. And we said this morning that every day that we miss of our fellowship with you is a day that's gone forever. So uh, help us not to take this too lightly, but really understand that the time that we spend with you is an investment into eternity. And uh, it's really, it gives us, when we go to the word, it gives you an opportunity, not that you are dependent on us, but it gives you an opportunity to open our hearts to help us see our great need to speak to us is such, such an awesome privilege that we have every day to come before the very throne of the universe, the throne that we read about in Revelation where the angels and all these living, these majestic creatures are there worshiping you. We have the privilege of coming before the throne and coming before you and you give us your undivided attention. And uh, I am I just really, really appreciate that. Thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace and your care for us. So I, I pray that even as we are thinking about these things, that we would just be sure that in our lives we spend time with you every day. Uh, I, I stress that a lot because I know how important it is. Tonight, we are gathered here in this room together, small group, and, uh, but you're here. And that's what matters. And your word is here. So I pray for us and pray for this time and pray that uh, you would just really open your word to us and open our hearts to your word. Help us to help us to have liberty of expression and freedom of thought that uh, this is your, we're your family, we're your children. We're gathered around yourself, your table. And uh, so we help us to have the fellowship that is rich and uh, blessed by you tonight. And that Jesus Christ, will be exalted and magnified and lifted up. 